0: Yesterday, there were some from this congregation who gathered together with about 600 other men at the Gold Hill Road congregation, a, a very special event called the Carolina Men's Fellowship. And this, of course, is put on by the Charlotte Avenue Church. They used the Gold Hill Road building because of the fact that uh, the facility is larger and, and a little bit better as far as traffic is concerned. And um, it was just a great day. I know some from this congregation were there, and uh, several of you who were there have already mentioned to me what an uplifting and encouraging day it was. Uh, the very idea of hearing uh, all those male voices singing together is just, uh, just amazing. Uh, our women sing beautifully, and we're glad that they're part of a worship service, but it is a unique experience uh, to be able to hear that because it's very unusual to get to hear it. But there were a variety of different speakers on this particular day, and, um, of course, the church sent out uh, a flyer advertising it, and it had a listing of the program and a listing of the speakers. Uh, It was my privilege, as it has been in the past, to speak on this particular day, and um, when I first got the flyer, the first thing I noticed uh, when I saw my assignment was simply this. It says, the perfect man... James Farr and I thought wow they think very highly of me now what's interesting is I we had this on the bulletin board and I was showing our dear uh, sister Chris what it said and she pointed out to me yes Jim it says the perfect man but it says for only 25 minutes And it's obvious if you look at me this morning, I am not the perfect man. I am overweight. I've got gray hair coming out. Uh, I have a knee that's all tore up to pieces from a motorcycle wreck going all the way back to high school. Uh, I have other ailments and infirmities that keep me from being a perfect man. You just look at me, you can tell that I am not a perfect man. Now, as I was mentioning uh, yesterday, I saw a commercial On TV, an advertisement for Bowflex. Great, have you seen this advertisement for Bowflex? This is a machine you can get on. And if you do it for 20 minutes a day, three days a week, it claims you can be a perfect man or have a perfect body. And I got all excited about that until I got to the end of the commercial and they have all that real fast talking at the end. And the guy said, results may vary. (laughs) I would be the very. I'd be the one that the results would be varied on. So I am not a perfect man. But more importantly, I'm not a perfect man just physically, but I'm not a perfect man spiritually. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 reminds us that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And even if I could get it right, even if I could get it right for a short period of time, say if I could be perfect for 25 minutes at least, Isaiah reminds us in Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 6 that all of our righteousness as far as God is concerned is as filthy rags. So I'm not a perfect man. You're not a perfect man. You're not a perfect woman. But thanks be to God, a little over 2,000 years ago, the most perfect man who ever walked the face of this earth A man by the name of Jesus Christ came and dwelled among us. Peter reminds us in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 18 and 19 that we have not been redeemed with a corruptible thing such as silver and gold that was a part of our lifestyle in the past, handed down by the tradition of our fathers. But we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, the precious blood of Jesus Christ, like as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Jesus Christ is the perfect man. And I need that perfect man because without this perfect man, as Ephesians chapter 2 verses 12 and 13 remind me, I would be hopeless and helpless. I would be alienated from God. I need this perfect man. In other words... Without this perfect man, I am lost in my sins and I can never expect to do any better. I can live this life on this earth and I can walk around just like everything is going as, as well as it can be going. But little do I know that I'm simply the walking dead. I'm walking around because of my sins destined for an eternity of hell. So I so need this desperate man because there's not a thing I can do about my spiritual condition without him. Regardless of resolutions, regardless of enunciations, regardless of religion, regardless of resolve, there's not a thing I can do for myself. I need this perfect man. And the reason that I need this perfect man is because of the perfect character of God. God always acts according to his character. In other words, God being who he is, he has some characteristics that makes him God, and he cannot act any other way. And it's those very characteristics that points out the fact that I need someone who is a perfect man. The Bible tells us that God... And his character is that he is a just God. God cannot tolerate sin. The prophet Isaiah reminds us that God's hand is not so short that he can save us, or nor is his ear so hard of hearing that he cannot hear us. But our sins and iniquities have separated us from him. God cannot tolerate sin in His presence. God God thinks of sin as being an abomination, and therefore His justice demands that sin be punished. Titus chapter one and verse two reminds us that God cannot lie, and so when God told Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, "The day that you eat of of that fruit of that tree, you shall surely die," God was not lying. When we are told in the book of Ezekiel, in Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 20, when Ezekiel, stating God's word, he says, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Ezekiel wasn't lying. And when Paul wrote the words of Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, when he says that the wages of sin is death, Paul was not lying. You see, God is a just God. And he demands that justice takes place. And therefore, because I am a sinner, because you are a sinner, regardless of what that sin may be, regardless of how bad you may think it may be, or regardless of how small you may think it may be, God's character demands the soul that sinneth, it must die. God can't change that characteristic of himself. God always acts according to His character. And because of that particular character, because of God's perfect characteristics, I need a perfect man. But another characteristic of God, and I thank God that He has this characteristic, is that He is a God of love. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8. Right there in the middle of the verse it says... God is love. Now we hear that and we think, well, that's true. God is a God of love. But literally, what that's saying in the text is if you want the definition of what love is, if you want love in its purest form, if you really want to know what love is, you need to look at God. Because literally, that's saying, that is God. That is God. God is love. That is a characteristic of God that will not and cannot change. God always acts within His character. And because of that, that makes God a gracious God. That makes God a merciful God. That makes God, acting within this characteristic of love, always wanting what is best for His creation. That's the reason why God blesses us today. That's the reason why God sends the rain on the just and the unjust. But God loves us and He wants what's best for us. He wants what is good for us. And so you have basically these two characteristics of God that seem to be in conflict with one another. On one side you've got the, con- the consistent characteristic of God that says... Justice must prevail. Nobody can get away with anything that defies the very being of who I am as God. Sin must be punished. And on the other side, you've got God who is a God of love, and He does not want to see anybody perish. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 reminds us that He is long-suffering toward us all not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So you have these two characteristics of God uh, conflicting, and you start reading your Bible. You see in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22 where it says that without the shedding of blood there cannot be any remission of sin. A price needs to be paid. But God's justice being perfect justice that shedding of blood needs to be appropriate and it needs to be proportional. Going all the way back to the Old Testament when Moses gave the law from God, he says this is what God's penalty is. This is how God's justice looks. He says the penalty is a life for a life, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, a foot for a foot. A bruise for a bruise. A wound for a wound. It has to be proportional. And therefore we read in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 4, The blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin. So you have God now. He has to have something that is proportional. He has to have something that's appropriate. Something that takes care of his characteristic that demands justice, and at the same time allows that free-flowing love from God to take care of mankind. And his answer to this conundrum, if you will, the way that these two things could come together, these two characteristics of God, where he could remain true and be consistent with his character, He decided to send us His only begotten Son, and hang Him on a cross and put Him to death, because He was the perfect sacrifice. The Gospel of John, John chapter one and verse one, reminds us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse fourteen of that same chapter says, "And the Word became flesh." And dwelt among us. Thanks be to God that God gave us the perfect man. He looked at his creation since the beginning of time. And saw our imperfections. Saw how that we were going to make the wrong choices in life. And how that we were sinners in desperate need of a salvation. And he sent to us that perfect man. Because he knew we would never ever be perfect. Now, it's interesting if you open up your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. The whole purpose of the book of Hebrews is to convince Jewish Christians, they were Christians, but they're referred to as Jewish Christians or Hebrew Christians, on the fact that they did not need to leave Christianity and to go back into Judaism. They had to make some big changes in their life when they went into Christianity. They had to deal with relatives who thought they were crazy. They had to change a lot of traditions they'd been doing their entire life. They had to change their way of thinking on a lot of different things. And they also had to admit to themselves that before they became Christians, they may have been the best Jew the world had ever seen, but they were still lost. And so the writer of Hebrews spends his time trying to make sure they understood what was so important about Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews is fascinated with the superiority of Jesus Christ. In chapter 1 of the book of Hebrews, he puts forth the idea that Jesus is greater than any angel, any messenger of God. In chapter 2 of Hebrews, he lays down the idea that Jesus Christ is the ultimate man. He is greater than any man that ever walked the face of this earth. And then in chapter 3, just in case these Hebrew Brethren, these Jewish people were kind of still stuck on the idea that the greatest lawgiver who ever walked on the face of the earth was Moses. In chapter 3, he sets forth the idea that Jesus is even greater than the prophet Moses. But what applies to us this morning, the writer of Hebrews begins in chapter 4 and works his way all the way through, through chapter 10 putting forth this wonderful and amazing idea that we need to think about for a few moments this morning. And that is that Jesus Christ is the perfect man. And since he is the perfect man, therefore he is the perfect sacrifice. And if he is the perfect sacrifice, that means he is the perfect high priest and he lives forevermore, making intercession for us. In fact, the writer of Hebrew kind of sums up this entire section in verse 25 of Hebrews chapter 7 when he says, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Now, as I said, I realize today is the day that daylight savings time starts. And so I'm not going to take the time to start in chapter 4 and work our way all the way through it and get all the way through chapter 10 to prove my point. Though I would suggest that sometimes you begin with chapter 4 and work your way all the way through because of the fact that the writer of Hebrews builds a wonderful case, point after point, Going from the lesser to the greater and then back to the greater to the lesser. Just logically putting forth the point that Jesus Christ is the perfect man. Therefore, he's our perfect sacrifice and he's our perfect high priest. But we don't have time to do that this morning. And you're probably thankful that I have made that decision. But there are two key verses in the book of Hebrews. Two key verses that kind of are in a synopsis. Uh, of what he's trying to say in these seven chapters. Two key verses that make two very important point, points of everything that he wanted us to understand about Jesus Christ. And those two verses are found in Hebrews chapter 7, verses 26 and 27 that our dear brother Grady read for us a few moments ago. I hope you'll open your Bibles and take just a few moments and look at these verses. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on them because we are using up our time this morning. But I want you to notice, first of all, in verse 26 of Hebrews chapter 7, that the writer of Hebrews sums up the fact that Jesus Christ is a perfect man. He's perfect. And to emphasize that, notice how he phrases it. For such a high priest, talking about Jesus Christ became us. Now don't miss that point. He's one of us. If you cut him, he would bleed. If you insulted him, it would hurt his heart. He had to deal with lack of sleep. He had to deal with hunger. He had to deal with pain. He was just like one of us. He was a man through and through, just like you and I are a man. This high priest we call Jesus Christ, he became one of us. As we've already mentioned, John chapter 1 and verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. But notice this man who is just like us. What does it say about him? It says, For such a high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. Make sure you understand the point of that. First of all, it says that this perfect man was perfect because he was holy. In the context of what's being talked about here is the idea that for the first time in history and in the only time in history, somebody finally kept the law of Moses. Back in Exodus chapter 28 and verse verse 36, there's the idea that when the high priest Uh, put on his high priest garments, and one of the things he put on was a a turban, and on the front of that turban there was a faceplate, if you will, on the front of it that said, Holiness unto God. And as a high priest of the Jewish people, he represented what the law was and how the purpose of the law was to make each and every one of those Jewish people in the past holy before God. The purpose of the law was to make sure they were always holy before God. Now, the law pointed out that nobody could do that. They couldn't keep the law. They really couldn't be holy before God. But this text says there's a perfect man who achieved it. Jesus Christ kept the law perfectly. Therefore, he was the one who could be called holy. The text goes on and says that he is harmless. Literally, in the Greek text, this means this man was innocent. He was never guilty of any crime. He was never guilty of any sin. He was as innocent as innocent can be. It's no wonder when Judas Iscariot betrayed him, betrayed him with a kiss and turned him over to the Jewish and Roman authorities, That as he was trying to throw back the money at the feet of those who gave him the money, he tells them and reminds them in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 4, I have betrayed innocent blood. Jesus Christ was the perfect man because he was innocent, not guilty of anything. And then to emphasize this, the writer then uses the word undefiled. And that's an interesting word in the Greek because it carries with it the idea of someone either holding up some fabric or holding up uh, some clothing and you looking at it, and no matter how hard you look at it, you can't find a single stain, you can't find a single mark, you can't find anything wrong with that garment. And he's using a colorful word picture here for us to look at Jesus Christ and we can stare at him all day long. And you'll never find a stain, you'll never find a mark, you'll never find a sin, no matter how long you look. He's the perfect man. Therefore, he continues on and says, because of that he is separate from sinners. For all have fallen short of the glory of God, for all have sinned. uh, Romans 3 and verse 10, there is none righteous, no, not one. Well, right here is the exception to the rule. And that's why the writer says, separate from sinners. He does not fall in that category, even though he's a man. And so, the summation at the end of the verse is that he has been made higher than the heavens, echoes what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 9, where it says that because of the fact that Jesus was who he was, and he did what he did. God has highly exalted him and given him a name above all other names. Jesus Christ was a perfect man. But also, verse 27 brings out the point that since he was the perfect man, he now becomes our perfect sacrifice, and therefore he is now our perfect high priest, and he's in heaven making intercession for us talking about this same man who was was perfect in verse 27. It says, "...who needeth not daily as those high priests," talking about those who lived under the law of Moses, "...to offer up sacrifice, first for their own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself." Every single time a high priest went before God on the Day of Atonement to ask for forgiveness of the people of Israel, It had to be pointed out to him that as he was asking forgiveness for them, he needed to take care of his own situation first. It magnified the fact that he was a sinner too, so he had to offer a sacrifice first for himself before he could ever go and offer a sacrifice for the rest of the Jewish nation. The whole point of this is that Jesus Christ didn't have that need because he had no sin, but earthly high priest always had to deal with the fact that they were sinners too. They could never ever be the kind of high priest that God really wanted. They never ever could present the kind of sacrifice that we needed because they were sinners too. Now yesterday, when I was speaking at the men's day, I brought this particular point out because there is a larger point here. And I used the illustration of my father who was sitting there, but I could use the illustration of anybody that is here this morning. There may be some here, my father would probably do this, I hope he would, but there may be some here today that love me enough and care enough about me and are generous and so unselfish this morning, they might say, well, Jim, I do not want you to spend eternity in hell. I don't want to see you go through that torment. You have done, you have, you, I don't want you to experience that. I know you've done terrible things, but I don't want you to, I'm going to take your place. Well, that's nice. I appreciate it. But it won't do me any good. Because you're a sinner too. You're not a perfect man. You stand before God and say, God, I'm making intercession for Jim. I'm going to let my blood be spilled so he can go to heaven. God would say, no, I'm sorry. You don't qualify. You don't meet the criteria. You don't fit my characteristic of justice. And you really don't fit my characteristic of love. Because my love dictates it has to be the very best. My justice dictates it has to be proportional and appropriate. And therefore, as the text says, who needeth not daily talking about Jesus Christ because he is perfect, He's not like those high priests in the old days that had to offer up sacrifice for their own sins, then for the people. And for this, for this reason, he only had to offer himself up once when he offered up himself. He was the only perfect man who ever lived on the face of the earth. And if there was ever a man that could stand before God and say, I am perfect, I kept your law perfectly, there's no sin, there's no mark, I am holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. God, you deserve to save me. I earned it. But instead of doing that, he says, you see that guy over there? You see Jim? You see that man over there? You see that woman over there? I'm going to die in their place. I'm going to die in their place. Thanks be to God that Jesus Christ was willing to do this for each and every one of us. First John chapter 2 and verse 1 reminds us of this very important point. My little children, I write these things unto you that you sin not. But if any man sin, he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the propitiation of our sins. We have an advocate, we have an intercession in heaven who pleads our case in the court of God. Jesus Christ, Jesus meaning he was human, Christ meaning he was God's anointed God, and he was righteous, and he took our place. I shared this story yesterday. I want to share it with you as we close this morning. I appreciate your time. But not too long ago, on one of our talk shows that come on in the evenings, there was an actor on there by the name of Kevin Bacon. Some of you know who Kevin Bacon is. He's been in all kinds of movies. And they were talking, and they were talking about his children. He has some children, and he was the, the talk show host was asking how, what their kids thought about him being an actor and seeing him in movies and stuff. And he said, well, his six-year-old boy, and I've forgotten his name now, but his six-year-old son asked him about the time when he was in the movie Footloose. And some of you may remember that particular movie. And the son asked him, he says, Dad, when you were swinging through the rafters, how did you do that? How in the world were you able to swing all through those rafters using one hand after the other? How did you do that? And Kevin responded to his six-year-old son. He says, uh, that wasn't me, son. That was a stunt man. He wore my clothes, and he acted like me and looked like me, but that wasn't me. And his son said, okay. Didn't quite understand it, but he said, Okay. Well a little bit later he came back and asked him well dad what about that time in that movie Footloose when you're on that gymnastic thing and he's talking about a pommel horse but the boy didn't know what the name of it was that gymnastic thing where you're hanging and you're moving your legs all around and you're twisting all back and forth and then you sp- and you jump off. Well, how did you do that? And Kevin Bacon says well son uh, that wasn't me that was a professional gymnast. He was wearing my clothes, and he looked like me, and he acted like me, but that wasn't me. And his little boy said, well, Dad, what did you do? And Kevin Bacon responded, I just got all the glory. Jesus Christ came to this earth and was made sin for us who knew no sin. And because of him, God has placed in us his righteousness. In other words, Jesus Christ came to this earth, and he wore my clothes, if you will. And he acted like me, and he looked like me. But that wasn't me. All I got was the glory. If you have a need this morning, we want you to respond, whether to be become a Christian And let that perfect man take your place on the cross. Or if you need that advocate this morning to continually plead for you, we will help you as we pray for you. As together we stand and sing.